Welcome along to uh, episode six as Brent takes another drink of his rum and coke to welcome no, us back. Red oh. wine tonight. Red wine. My apologies. Yeah. <laughs> you just did that to throw me off, didn't you? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a prick. But uh, look, that's why I love doing this show with you. You know, keep me on my toes every week. And yeah, so I uh, had a good week this week. Yeah, no, it's been wicked. The weather's turned a bit, bit odd here, but no, the it's been good. Everything's been positive in the news, you know, like um, yep. looks like we've beat this COVID or beating this COVID yep. thing. Restrictions are starting to lift. Um, yep. Some really positive news uh, with events, dates being announced. So uh, next, yeah. mu- next month we'll get back into state level racing. Um, some pretty yeah, fingers about crossed. That. Yeah, yeah. No, that'll be good. Um, so this week is actually the launch uh, as we've been, as it's been promoted of uh, war is coming and War is basically the WA Road Racing E-Series, which kicks off this Sunday night at uh, Okiyama. Um, I think it's Okiyama or is it Summer Point? Um, my bad. Um, <laughs> I'm, involved, I'm involved with the series and I don't even know. Um, but anyway, look, it's going to be streamed on the War E-Racing Facebook Um Looking forward to a pretty strong field. There's about 13 to 15 at the moment. Um, you're not joining in yet, I believe, or you're just hoping to get your sim set up before that? Yeah, I just want to get the new gear all set up first and um, just see how it goes. Um, I Not all the days work for me with my calendar at the moment, so yep. okay. um, can't, I can't, um, unfortunately, I can't uh, get myself dedicated to the whole series which is what which is a shame so i'd like to um but um cam edwards is going to do some driving for racecraft and yep. I've, I've jumped on the bandwagon there and um yeah so whatever uh cam edwards does i'm supporting him yep and fantastic he's the, he's the guy um, and of course um cam edwards for those who do not know he's the uh, events manager at Wannery Raceway here in Western Australia. And the WA Sporting Club has been very generous and has offered up a tuning day voucher to any competitor that wins the round, as long as they are, of course, a member of the car club. So that is wicked. That is fantastic. And I cannot say thank you enough to Andrew up there uh, for jumping on board with that. And of course, Cameron for helping get us across the line. And of course, Cunt talk about this series without talking about Stephen Ellis, who's uh, the young guy that uh, has actually been the motivation behind getting this going, who uh, rang me one Saturday night and, of course, I just went, who the hell is this? I'm not going to talk to this, whoever this is, because I don't really want to. Um, and then, yeah, he left me a few messages, messaged me on Facebook, and I was like, all right, I'll have a chat to this guy. And um, from there, it's just grown. So we did a test run last Sunday, which went fairly well, apart from some technical glitches um oh, it went pretty i thought it went pretty good yeah look i mean from the spectator point of view you guys didn't miss out on too much which was good um but i've been doing a lot of tweaking of the setup this week and uh when we go live this weekend i think everyone is going to be very pleasantly surprised with how the race series is actually going to be presented so it is not supercars budget, but we're going to make it damn well look as good as supercars. Cool. Hopefully. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I want, I want to catch a couple of rounds. And like I said, uh, help, you know, Cameron's asked if, he can, um, if we can help with the livery there. And if anyone else does, uh, I'm always up for that. doesn't matter whether it's racing or, or real life cars and categories. So, um, 
yeah, I'm just keen to see how it goes. Um, yep. Yeah, and I'll into where I can. Um, yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I'm going to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, he had, he won the Bathurst 1000 on his first outing. Uh, for that, he was partnered with West Australian supercars legend Garth Tander. Uh, that win also allowed him to claim the title of the first South Australian to step on the top step at Bathurst. Uh, he is a champion of up-and-coming talent, was recently involved in the Arise Racing Driver Search Program here in Western Australia. He also mentors up-and-coming motorsport participants in his... Uh, spare time um and he's managed to continue doing that uh even while there is no physical racing by doing private sessions on iRacing racing with them he currently holds the third fastest official lap record at wanneroo Wasteway, uh where he put in a 53.0792 lap time in an f1000 which wow. was two and a half seconds behind gary west uh in his lola which did a 50 point uh five seconds which was set as the official uh, record there and of course i'm talking about nick Perkat. Uh, he races for brad jones racing and he joins us next on behind the sport okay so we're now joined by nick Perkat. how are you doing tonight i'm good how are you good thank you um so we just did a nice little intro um just to sort of mention about your involvement with mentoring people and involvement in driver searches and also, you know, still doing your stuff via iRacing. Um, outside of your insane hundreds of kilometre bike rides that I keep seeing you post and, of course, the uh, BP All-Stars series, what are you up to at the moment? Um, yeah, well, the sim is taking up a lot of time. <laughs> it's, uh, well... I think others are spending a lot more time than me, but uh, yeah, I've had to move my whole simulator setup for the E-Series um, to the place where I actually keep my go-karts. So in the background, there's like a bunch of go-karts and our trailer and stuff, but it's actually about 40 minutes from home. So for me to come and cut laps, um, <laughs> obviously got to drive out here and then it's not worth kind of just jumping on and off. You got to actually spend a bit of time. So um, yeah, I'm on the sim a bit and then yeah, just the, the day-to-day training, I'm trying to up everything. So I'm, I've, I uh, ran my first half marathon recently, um, doing some more swimming. Uh, and then, yeah, you see the huge bike rides that I've been yeah. doing. Uh, or I'm just kind of hanging out with Nelson, who's just asleep at the moment, doing nothing. So, um, yeah, that's about it. That's um, situation normal for Nelson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's um it was actually something i was going to ask a bit later but of course he's been doubling as your race engineer for the uh, e-series but um look you know all i see is him asleep and if that's a requirement to be your engineer i would happily take that job for 2021 so but, you know, if you got to actually be awake maybe not so <laughs> helpful when you're awake but anyway <laughs> yeah um so where are we we're going um so tell me what got you started into motorsport? Um, I'm just going to sit down with the dog, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was actually my my dad. Um, he worked at Holden's, um, actually, like, as a, um, what do they call it? Like a fitter and turner and um, mechanic and that kind of thing. So he was always in love with cars. And then um, he raced drag cars and into karting and stuff like that, all at, like, um, kind of club level. So when I came along... Um, yeah, I just naturally loved cars. Um, he's a mechanic, so I was always down at his workshop cleaning cars or getting in the way. So, yeah, it was um, an early start for me. Um, I think I was seven or eight when I first drove one. And then 
Um, I actually kind of bailed it and went and played footy with my mates for a while and then realised I'm absolutely terrible at footy. So uh, went back into karting and never really looked back from when I was about nine and then, yeah, just progressed through all the ranks there and um, got absolutely uh, probably the, one of the luckiest drives on the grid by being picked up by Tom Walkinshaw because you know, we didn't have the, the money to go um, racing, even national level kind of go-karting. We did a lot of racing in Adelaide, um, ventured over to Melbourne maybe like twice a year to go race against um, all the gurus and um, yeah, never did anything more than that. So um, we kind of just had a random little shot in the Aussie racing cars um, in 2006 and that's kind of what kick-started it all. And um, yeah, that, that category back then who was running it, the management gave us a ripper deal so we could actually afford to do it. And uh, yeah, that year is the year that Tom Walkinshaw and the Walkinshaw Racing Group signed me on a, you know, virtually it was about kind of like a lifetime deal. So um, <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for that, I'd probably just be kicking back in Adelaide with dad in his, in his workshop and um, working with him really. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's weird. What's been one of your most enjoyable moments in motorsport so far? Um. Obviously, yeah, winning Bathurst in your first crack is yeah. up there. Um, but, uh, you know, even the the podiums I had with LDM, um, obviously because Lucas is a really close friend. I was actually his teammate when he had the accident in Formula Ford. And, um, you know, unfortunately now he's a, you know, he's quadriplegic and he can't obviously drive a car or anything anymore. So he had his own race team in supercars and, um, yeah, randomly ended up driving for him for two years. And we, we you know, we... Um, now down a Adelaide 500 win, mm-hmm. uh, we came third at Bathurst. So that was all pretty cool to do it with someone like Lucas, who um, gave me a bit of a lifeline in supercars when, um, yeah, the Walkinshaw side of things kind of fell over due to some sponsorship. So yeah, it was um, pretty cool to be on the podium with him. But yeah, nothing really will ever top um, Bathurst. But I've also had some pretty cool um, little wins along my career. You know, I won a race at Brands Hatch at the Formula Ford Festival in 2008, which was mega. Um, I think there were some pretty speedy drivers in there that year. I think uh, Magnussen was on the grid. He was um, pretty pretty out of control back then, let alone now. So, uh, um, it's uh, yeah, I've, had, I've raced some cool guys. And, you know, a lot of my teammates now, like Mitch Evans and stuff, are, you know, factory Jag driver in Formula E um, and stuff like that. And Chaz was in my year of Formula Ford. So, I've had some mega races. Yeah. Um, throughout my career and um, it's hard to kind of pinpoint the best ones because anyone that you're racing against the top guys in the country um, is a good it's a good feeling if you can get one up on them yeah and of course your winner Bathurst was with uh, West Australian Garth Tander and yeah. you managed to you know that was your first outing at Bathurst um, and of course you know the first South Australian to step on the top step so yeah, that was um, had to have been that just a little bit extra special, you know, just to stick it to everyone else <laughs> coming from such yeah. a small state. But, well, especially because you know. um, Garth mentored me from like 2007. Just no one knew that in football. Yeah, wow. Because I actually was kind of not even maybe number three on his car at HSV dealer team. Um, I actually worked at the workshop uh, during the week uh, when I moved to Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, I knew him there and I was the one who cleaned his car on the inside and make sure it was all immaculate and um, I think I fitted up some body work and clean wheels and stuff all on his car so our relationship started a long time before Bathurst 2011 so um, yeah it was definitely special to win it with him um, yeah especially when you go from like cleaning his car and scared to talk to him <laughs> in 2007 to then um, driving alongside him it's pretty cool yeah that that would be pretty cool now you currently teammates uh, you got to, with Thomas Randall um, and at the beginning of 2020 you made mention that he was perhaps on your wish list 
and you're a bit surprised that he became available with um, Walkinshaw uh, parting ways. Now, if you had a dream partnering for, partnering for your endurance rounds from any discipline of motorsport, any era, who would you want to partner? That's interesting. Um, so if I, if I actually have to stay in supercars, my go-to would literally be um, Jamie or Garth just because they've been so successful across um, so many sets of rules and stuff like that in a supercar. Um, and they're just seriously good racers and perfectionists. But then I guess if you could grab anyone, phew, it's hard. Um, I don't know. I think... I think back to all the like gurus of like, you know, your center and Prost and all them, um, which is seriously the history they left for us to, to watch. You know, I get to watch that now on Fox sport because there's running crazy amount of replays of all like eighties yeah. F1, yeah. which is mega. Um, be great. <laughs> yes. So it'd be cool to like, I guess, have someone from maybe that era just to see how different they went about it. Because, you know, we get to see so much of what, um, say like a Verstappen or Norris or someone, the way they go about it due to Twitch and all these live streams, you feel like, you know, the way they go about their racing. So um, if I could turn back time a long way and, um, you know, strap center or a Prost or any of those kind of guys in with me just to see how hardcore they, they were, that'd be um, pretty mega. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be such a yeah, thrill to see those guys out on track and, you know, even some of the you know, Formula One guys that are still around now, yeah, uh, you know, from that era would be, yeah, just, just yeah, cool to see, I reckon. So, It'd be very, very interesting to see how they go. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, do you, what do you think the biggest difference is between the guys from the, what everyone talks about is the glory days and now, what's more, the ultra-professional as we see now, I mean, they were professionals then, but there seems to be this, is it just because we're all getting old and that's what we grew up with? And so we think that was the mecca. And then the kids in 10 years time are going to think that, or 20 years time are going to think that what we're watching now is the the mecca or? Yeah. Well, even if I look at, say, supercars, for example, the easiest way, um, you know, the obviously the, the teams weren't as professional, the cars weren't as fast or as reliable. So the grid spread was huge. Um, and, you know, there was a lot more mistakes happening and that was just accepted. It was like, you know, if oh, we'll just make up a name of bloody old Billy fired it into the fence at Bathurst, but he was out there having a go because the car came on in a small transporter and he didn't have a big team around him. It was so they always got a lot of positive reinforcement. But now if we make a tiny mistake and run slightly wide, we kind of get slaughtered by the world. So it's, it's such a different world now. Um, I would say... The way we drive the cars now, you literally have to be perfect um, because the the car the rules are so much more even. You know, there's no big banger engines, kind of, unless you look at Bathurst last year. Um, <laughs> there's no um, like all that. There's there's not as, there's not two seconds covering the top five cars. You know, um, so we kind of have no choice. The discipline has become um, much more scrutinised, and our bosses expect expect a lot more of us. So. Um, yeah, back then, I guess, you know, there was cigarette money and there was all that kind of thing going around. It was just like who was kind of cool and kind of hung it out sideways, had the best engine and the best team around them. They kind of won it. So I guess it's just hard to tell. But I think, you know, I look back at the Brock days and stuff and I'm like, wow, that was really cool. The, the size of the crowds and all that kind of stuff and how much they were kind of heroes, I guess. Um, to now, it's a lot, it is a lot different, but there's a lot more... Um, 
how's the way to describe it? I guess because of social media and TV and all that kind of thing, there's a everyone we're a lot more open to everyone, um, and people tend to get you know really fixated on drivers and um, or teams. Um, so it's just I think it's such a different ball game now. <laughs> it's hard to even. Mm. I look back and think how cool was it back then when they kind of. You know, they cut to Brocky and he's halfway through a lap talking to him and he's sideways and fucking around. But if we just do that now, it's just slow. <laughs> so we can't afford to be doing that. But um, yeah, I reckon I'll look back at my little era of motorsport and like fire out. That was seriously hard. But, um, you know, when, I, when you speak to people like Larry and Perkins and stuff, they know how hard their era was because the cars were probably... Well, really unwieldy. Yeah, they're hard to drive. You have to really manage them. So it's just such a different kettle of fish, I guess. So I just want to step back a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's uh, I don't like to dwell on crashes and stuff because there's enough coverage. But um, I do want to ask so about two, issue, two incidents. Um, there was the crash in Melbourne 2017. Yeah. At, uh, I believe it was Albert Park. And uh, in the interviews after with the crash, you made mention that mentally you weren't too impacted from it. But obviously the physical side of it, you know, that we fans don't see, you know, the sleepless nights, lots of rehab and concussion yeah. issues and that sort of thing. Um, do you have a routine like, or did you have some sort of routine or something you went through afterwards to to clear that, you know, the, the bit of mental, you know, aspect side of it? Or was it just a simple, yep, I'm done, you know, we're ready to race again. And you know, I believe you went back to a kart race the next day and, yeah, around a track. So, is that something you've got a bit of a process to go through, or you uh, just like snap the fingers and off you went? Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't say there's a process because, say, like that kind of crash, when there's a failure um, on the car side, it's so unexpected, and it's not. You know, I haven't sat there and gone, I um, bloody made a mistake there and slipped off the pedal and end up at the fence. It was um, kind of passengerized myself. I just went for the passenger and. Um, got drilled by the belts and the crown jewels and uh, got out, couldn't breathe and all that kind of thing. And um, I guess I was, I was just frustrated because it was just annoying really. Um, and a lot of money for Brad to repair cars and stuff like that. So yeah, I just went straight down to Geelong go-kart club the next day and jumped to my KZ um, and just cut laps all day. So probably shouldn't have definitely had concussion and bits and pieces and my neck was pretty bad for about a week or two after, but yeah, for me, I think I just wanted to get back driving something straight away. Um, but then, say, Darwin, I think, was it last year? When I hit the fence in qualifying? Yeah, when Macca followed me in. That was my fault. Like, I slipped. Like, I, um, when I went for the brake pedal, I actually virtually missed it and just grazed it and got throttled again. Um, so that took a little bit of um, mental side of things to give myself a bit of an uppercut and kind of reset and then into the race, making sure, you know... Um, I didn't do it again. Uh, it's nothing, you know, I've never actually missed the brake pedal before. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we changed the brake pedal pad, made sure there was more grip on that because it was quite worn out. And then I went and did my thing. And, um, you know, the first couple of laps there, I made sure my leg was tracking straight to the brake pedal. But it was after that, it's, you know, you just press on. Yeah. And just, I guess, around a little bit about mental health. Back in 2016, you partnered with uh, John Bauer as an ambassador for the Black Dog Institute. Um, have you seen an improvement, I, I guess, been from that involvement with like the stigma and people more talk being open about, you know, the, the 
mental issues with men um, and, you know, perhaps around, you know, the, the paddock, do they talk a bit more about it or is it still that, no, I'm a man, you know, I've just got to suck it up and get on with it sort of thing? Um, it's hard because, so I had some involvement there because we actually, my, my dad, dad's best friend, uh, unfortunately passed away through uh, mental illness. So, you know, we, Basically, Coates Hire was um, who I'm um, ambassador for. They had involvement with Black Dog, and then I was like, "Oh well, I want to be involved." So um, I had my own personal reasons to do that, but um, I think there's it's definitely better because I think you'll find that um, the guys kind of actually tend to pick up the phone or actually ring their mate and go, "Hey, are you all good?" Or if you sense something that's a little bit not right with them, we might not ever put our hand up and say, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling," or not at the start, but. Uh, there's yeah. definitely more awareness of, you know, pick up the phone, don't shit can your mate and um, actually make sure they're all right kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, I think it's been a slight turn, but, um, you know, it'd be good if we all just opened up a bit more. But, um, guys, we don't, send, we don't tend to do that, really. So, <laughs> keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Just be more moody and stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> so, um, we'll fast forward a couple of years after that incident and the Townsville 400 last year. Uh, with the uh, refueling incident, um, when were you actually aware that the car was on fire? <laughs> um, actually, kind of like driving down pit lane because I was like, "Far out! What's it? It's actually kind of warm in here." Like <laughs> the, the the fire must have kind of like when it went under the seal. It actually, I think, it was kind of like hovering around uh, on the floor there, so like on the underside of the car. But actually, heated up the seat a little bit, and I was like what's going on? I looked in the mirror and I'm like, oh my God, I'm on fire. <laughs> yeah, right. So did you have like a bit of a calmness? Like, okay, I'm on fire. Procedure is I do this, this, this and get out of the car. Or was it just like pure adrenaline and you sort of yeah, um, jumped out of the car? And Well, my plan was that I knew, I knew it was going to be fuel. Obviously, I just been a pit, so it wasn't oil or anything. So my plan was to drive onto the track and it would blow out. So then... That was all fine. And then they flicked the light to red it in the pit lane and stood in front of me. And that's when there was a little bit of panic because um, obviously the cabin filled up with a bit of smoke. I knew I was like kind of on fire. But in that instance, you don't seem to remember that, you know, it's a, a sealed fuel tank. It's safe. Um, it's not going to just explode like Grand Theft Auto or something. It's, um, <laughs> so then I was like wanting to get out relatively quickly. And um, I got out as quick as I could. And annoyingly, the marshals, they did their job. But they didn't. If they waited another three seconds, I would have been clear of all the fire hydrant um, extinguisher powder and stuff. But then they were busy squirting the car off, so I had to walk through that, and that was probably the worst bit because it filled my lungs with all the powder, and you can't breathe because that's obviously what it's designed to do. So, if they waited maybe three or four more seconds, it would have been much more pleasant. I wouldn't have been covered in white powder, but um, they were doing their job. So, yeah, I think I stayed relatively calm, and then I actually helped bring the car back and then jump back in and finish the race. Yeah. <laughs> now one of the, um, the, one of your pit crew actually had a bit of fire on him back in the pits. Was he all good after that? Was it just a... Uh, yeah, he was fine. I was surprised because um, he didn't even, he has a big beard and I expected him to come back with no beard, but it was still there. So he was, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he was all good. Obviously everyone's like pretty rattled by it initially. And um, Brad and the team did a really good job making sure everyone was mentally all good and happy to keep doing their jobs and 
he wasn't scared the next time the car came to pit lane. But again, you know, we found the fault with what happened. Um, we put procedures in place um, and then everyone's kind of on the same page and um, assumes that it's not going to happen again, really. Yeah. And I, and I think like refueling personally um, is something that's missing out of you know, like Formula One these days is that refueling and the strategy that comes behind that. And yeah. I really hope that, you know, down the track that, you know, supercars doesn't remove refueling just because of a couple of little incidents you know and obviously on the longer stretches they're going to have to refuel um but you know if they they said no you guys got to design cars that hold all your fuel um i think that'd be a big 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 disappointment for the sports yeah the strategy would go and all that fun side of things would go it's the same if they go to paddles and stuff like that i it's not something i want to drive so I'm really hoping that never happens too because I'll probably go find something else to drive around the world, to be honest. <laughs> I know um, watching some of your live stream, you've, you've commented about the paddles in the, in the racing, so in the simulator. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so moving on to the E-Series and, uh, you know, last week you ended up on your side in one of the races. Mm. Um, how are you actually finding the E-Series in general? Um, yeah, I think it's fun. Um, there's a very small minority of the group, probably. You know, I'm not taking it deadly serious, say as much as say Scotty McLaughlin or Anton or someone like that. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's a few that probably should just meet to where like the rest of us are. We're just having fun. We're not um, on it every day, spending hours. You know, I, I jump on it on on Monday. I do the rehearsal race, which is just um, you know shortened sessions. You just do one race, and it's just to make sure I know what the what it did a start and stuff like that. Um, and then I do a little bit on Tuesday and then obviously the race Wednesday, but you know, there's some there that are sitting in it all day, every day, which is, I would battle to do, but it's, you know, it's serving a good purpose for the sport. Um, for all our sponsors, it's getting the best thing. I think it's showing everyone us without our helmets on. Um, yeah. So everyone's mm. getting to see everyone's personality and they're realizing that maybe all these years that the media have painted some people to be something and that maybe not. So it's, it's, it's good. Um, I think everyone now can see um, what everyone's like. And um, the good thing is no one's taking it externally super serious. So, you know, they're not, I'm not seeing like comments about people being shit drivers and stuff like that. It's more like everyone's having a good time and doing a good job. And you can tell the guys that are serious. You can tell the guys are having fun. Then you can tell the guys that don't want to be there. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's generally what happens on that reverse grid race. The guys that don't want to be there at the front and it's just mayhem. So, <laughs> see, this week, Spa, it's just going to happen again. So, just try and pick your way oh. through. <laughs> spa being such a brutal circuit as well. Like, Yeah. yeah. So, do you, with the A-Series stuff or just the, the simulator in general, do you use it much as part of your normal routine, your normal prep? Um, no, just because... So, the spec of sim I have, it's it's ridiculously good for um what i intended to do on it so you know it's a, it's a sim work sim it just doesn't have um probably quite a good enough pedal box or and it doesn't have direct drive steering so a few of the things that i come over to perth to actually do with um the arise team with some technique stuff i can't do on the sim so i actually have a different driving style on the sim which is frustrating um I still heel toe and all that, but I can't uh, load the brake pedal the way I want to with what I've got. And the only way I'll do that is if I go spend a couple thousand dollars, which kind of refusing to do just because obviously probably not that uh, responsible in this time when um, obviously there's uh, 
people are earning no money and stuff like that. So, yeah, we'll uh, shut we'll up. Shut up. We'll <laughs> we'll make I'm sure. I just splashed out on a new sim rig. So, uh, <laughs> ah, well, for me, but, uh, I'm not. We're gonna have fun. Not, yeah, well, yeah. My, to be honest, this thing's still ridiculous. It's still got. Oh, uh, SimWorks is. Yeah, yeah, it's still more than enough. It's just 2016, so you know the brake pedal's a bit soft, so I can't do the what I want to do with it. And the the pedals, pro, I mean the steering unit's probably not quite as good as it could be. But for what I'm doing, um, I find the concentration side the best thing. You know, mm. um, setting yourself up for a qualifying lap in the E series, extracting the most out of you know whatever you've got um, is really good fun. And then just in the race, not making a mistake and looking after the tyre, all that side of things, I'm doing the same as I would in the race car. And I think, again, that's why my results are quite good in the races because I generally um, maximise the tyre life uh, and the way I get the most out of it. And it's, I think that's why I keep popping up inside the top 10 in E-Series. And it's the same reason my race pace is really good in, in real life. So um, I use it for that side, but I can't do the little things that I want to do on it, which I know I could, but it's going to cost half, a, half the national debt to get it. <laughs> <laughs> So when it when it yeah. comes to the um, i racing side of things, the tracks and the modelling of the cars, how have you found that? Like especially the supercars, because it's not really a normal race car as such. Mm. So, do you think they've got it good enough, or is it still be nice to get some work, or you, you don't want to answer because <laughs> no, it, 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 needs work. <laughs> it definitely needs work. You know, the the biggest things are braking, like. Um, if you guys are driven it, like it's feels like as soon as you touch the brake pedal, it's either locking a front or a rear. That does not happen in real life. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> there's one thing a supercar does. It generally stops quite good in a straight line because we have quite big brakes um, and they get a lot of weight transfer to the front of the car and stuff like that. So I feel the iRacing platform has not enough front braking grip um, and initial turn. So you're like there and then the the wild oversteer you get in like third gear and spear off into the fence doesn't really happen in real life either. So um, <laughs> a few little things could be improved, but I guess, you know, unless one of the teams has been sending them data, they've got nothing to really base off um, what the physics of the car is like. So yeah. And two wheeling like off the start, like Scotty Pye did into the fence. That doesn't happen either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, obviously I saw that, uh, practice session i think it was at uh watkins glen where you just yeah. Watkins Glen, and you just went to this slide hit the fence went straight up in the air and oh yeah did a barrel roll like this and was like, pretty sure the cars don't do that like no. <laughs> it's, well, I've, um, been, I've been doing laps tonight on spa at spa and like last night i jumped on and did like a 18 two i get on tonight and i'm like why am i now eight tenths slower like it doesn't make this it sometimes just doesn't make any sense. So that's just eye racing. I just call that just eye racing. You just gotta get used to it. <laughs> oh, At the stop. same time, is it uh, kind of cool to be driving, well, not literally driving, but being in a supercar simulation on some of these international circuits? Though, like, yeah, it's, it's and, fun. Yeah, it's, um, cool. it the. I think there's only been a couple that I didn't really like, and that was probably just purely the way the car was set up. To be honest, um, I think was it. Watkins Glen was mega fun because the car was probably what you'd expect it to be. It's not too bad at Spa. Uh, Montreal, the thing was evil to drive, so that wasn't that fun. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool to you know do a start. You're on the grid with all all the people that you race against. Um, what are you doing, Nils? Um, and my God, the engineer's telling you that the setup's good. It's <laughs> yeah. the driver. 
and then we you know we get some pretty cool drivers come race us to get you know Verstappen and stuff like that so yeah it's definitely um it's good and I was just watching some of Lando's laps on Twitch and he's already way too fast so there's definitely a knack to this eye racing and I don't have it so I just have fun <laughs> so with the so like you've had like um Max Verstappen for instance like whenever we organize something you always have your own group chat and you talk to everyone and you know, you guys at that ultra high level, is it the same? Do you have your own sort of Skype chat or, or Facebook chat and you all take the mickey out of each other? Is it yeah, is there still yeah. some good kilometers? Like, they're still there? Yeah, yeah. So um, Thursday nights we do the local heroes race um, that Shane Van Giesbergen hosts or sets up. And, you know, last week we had everyone from DTM, bloody um, Leclerc was in there, uh, yeah. me. SVG, Scotty Pie, and Will Davo were racing. Um, Mitch Evans was there. Like I think it was forty of us from. They're all the gurus of world motorsport. So, and we, you know, we just had our Discord channel, and um, everyone just had live mics. And you know, I've met a quarter of them, and um, or hung out with a quarter of them, and you know, everyone just got on like a house on fire, and it was probably the most fun I've had for. Well, yeah. since probably um, Thursday at Albert Park when we were actually had to drive the cars. So. It's um, that's really cool, and it's good to see. You know, they're just all normal people. You know, you got someone like Charles, who's um, poised to be an absolute god of Ferrari in in F one, and no doubt he's going to win world championships. He just jumps on and races a skip barber against us at some random track that Shane picks. So, um, yeah, that was uh, really cool, and it's good that they're all normal guys. And um, oh, yeah, we just have our own little group chats, and no different to. Uh, my group of friends that I play F1 against, you know, we're, we're all yeah. seeing our houses taking the mickey out of us by Mike, so it's good fun. Yeah. So you're also um, using the iRacing platform for some mentoring sessions. Um, it, were you doing that sort of thing through simulators before or were you just, was it just purely in-person mentoring that you were doing? Um, no, that's the first time I've done it via the sim, um, purely because all the young carters never owned one or had one. Um, so yeah, like young Brad, who I help in real life, you know, I'm a mechanic for him at, um, the Australian karting championship. He, he's got iRacing now and the Shamik team do this, um, little championship. So I just give him some help and host a session for him and, um, just cut laps with him and give him some tips and get him going. And he, I think he got his first little win on the weekend. So he was pretty happy. Um, I actually had to go to his house, um, quarantined myself into his house for a day and <laughs> got him up to speed. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's good fun helping the young kids, and um, you know they they appreciate it. And um, I guess if I look back when I was karting, if I ever had a supercar driver come even sign my t-shirt, it was the best thing ever. Let alone uh, you know teach me how to drive one on one through a racing platform. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. My um my most memorable moment with a supercars driver as a kid was actually being told where to go by a certain Maybe. legend of uh, the racing. So, uh, yeah, I think I've touched on that a couple of times already, this uh, podcast series. So yeah, it's been that, hasn't it? It, it has. <laughs> you know, I, was nine years, I was nine years old and I went to my hero who everyone around that time in the 80s was looking up to and I looked up to him and I was like, please, Mr. Such and Such, can you please sign my, sh my little autograph book? And he yeah. had a bit of a bad run. Yep. <laughs> he turns around and he goes... F off, and I'm like, and I was nine years old at the time, you know, and I'm just like, That's harsh. yeah, Skate did that to me in Adelaide, had the Adelaide 500. 
<laughs> never forgive him. No, no. So, yeah, I've I've never forgiven Brocky either. But um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah. what can I do about it? You know, I was nine years old, and but um, yeah, and it, it is different. You know, like seeing, you know, I, I guess back then there wasn't so much media coverage, and there wasn't so much. Um, well, there was there was a lot more media coverage, but it wasn't as in depth as yeah. it is now. Um, so it wasn't so instant. Yeah, yeah. So you know and obviously more time to edit there was no live you know someone taking a video going oh my god look yeah look what brocky said look what percat said you know now it's like oh look what percat said yeah look what safety said you know so it's yeah definitely um yeah got to mind yourselves these days a bit but um speaking of the younger kids um you know those the up-and-comers um at the various levels you know including go-kart tracks and you know who you've seen you know like say things like the rise driver search are there, is there anyone you believe that should be on, you know, the watch this space list that, you know, potentially going to go gangbusters as they mature? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to, you know, a few of the guys that I've rated really highly um, have actually nipped over and, you know, left Australia to go do some stuff in the US. So yeah. um, a few of the Sonic drivers out of Formula Ford, um, like Hunter Macaray is like seriously fast and really, really good young bloke who can steer and he's proving that over in the US. So, you know, I guess if you're going to watch someone try and get to IndyCar or something, he would be the one there um, from Australia. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, there's some really young, young kids in karting that are doing some pretty special stuff. So um, a guy or oh, Dave Sarah runs his kart team and he's got a few really gun drivers that are, yeah, potentially going to be seriously good. Um, I know they're like a hundred times better than I was when I was seven. So <laughs> don't know if that equals anything. And then, you know, when I come over and do the Arise stuff, um, obviously young McRae was pretty impressive. Uh, and he's, you know, from what I hear, I've seen him drive the Radical and stuff like that, but I hear he just jumps in like the rally car and stuff and is just tears it up and um, has a really good feel and understanding for the car. So um, I think there's a few floating around that could, be really good um and then you know there's a few guys in super two that potentially could show us that they can get going like i think um brody kostecki is quite good um uh you know Ange mazuris who i mentored at sonic he he's fresh in the super two straight out of formula ford um he could get going if he you know keeps at it um but yeah it's hard to pick because in karting like say for me i never won a national championship or a state title yeah, um, I raced against, say, Dave Serra, who dominated everything for his whole karting career. And then, you know, we both jumped in cars and um, it suited my style a lot better and off we went. So it's hard to, to watch them when they're in karts. And, but you can tell the kids that know how to win, definitely, and um, who have a good kind of like mature head on their shoulders. Yeah. I had um, Andrew Malkin, who was actually in the driver search on uh, I think the first episode and he mm. was saying that, uh, you know, his first race out in karting, he actually pulled into the pits uh, when he was about to get lapped just so, and retired. So he didn't have, you know, lapped on his ah. board. So he was just like, Jesus, that's, um, yeah. I reckon I got yeah. lapped in a go-kart when I first started, but everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, before I before I turn you over to Brent, and I, I apologise in advance, um, <laughs> who have been some of your biggest supporters? You know, in terms of family, friends, sponsors. You know, obviously you mentioned the um, the Walkinshaw side of things from early on. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so who have some of those people been and you know, continue to be now? Um, yes, yeah, so obviously mum and dad start the whole process with you when you're quite young. So, um, you know, they took me all the way through. But, uh, you know, without the, the side of things with Walkinshaw signing me back in 2000 and end of 2006, like, honestly, that was after that race at the Gold Coast when we got the win, you know, we were planning to pack it up and that was me, you know, just going to finish year 12 and work for dad. Um, and then suddenly I've got this piece of paper in my hand that has me on a multi, multi-year deal with the factory Holden racing team. So that kind of <laughs> um, swung things around a bit. Um, so obviously the whole walking shot group, Ryan, Martin, um, you know, and, and Tom for a very small part of it um, before he sadly passed away, they, they made me even have a shot at getting to supercars. And then, you know, people like, um, you know, even Will Davison, I lived with him for a few years um, through my former Ford stint. Um, so he was a massive help. I just kind of like it was a sponge to the all the Walkinshaw drivers um, and just kind of got as much info out of them as I could. And then, you know, I got, I got lucky. Um, obviously, when you got Walkinshaw... <laughs> Uh, marketing team trying to help you find sponsors um, makes it a bit easier. So then I've ended up with you know these relationships through say Coates Hire and Morris Finance that have been going for I think it's ten years this year with those two companies and um, and then you know I pick up other little bits and pieces along the way with Timken Bearings that have been now going for four or five years. So you know there's um, those type of supporters that you become an ambassador for, but they're actually way more than that. I'm all I'm friends with all of them personally, um, and you know you know, we speak to each other the whole way through this whole lockdown and uh, check up on each other. So it's not just a, a sticker on my helmet at all. So I think that's why the relationships last so long. And then honestly, um, even Lucas to an extent, you know, if I didn't get the drive there, I, I would have, at the end of 2014, when um, Shaw couldn't fund the car again, it was, you know, if I didn't drive the, in 2015, I think that would have been the end of my career because once you're out of the bubble, it's you can't get back in. You look at someone like, mm. Michael Caruso, he's you know, fast, he's a top 10 driver. And now he, I just don't think you ever get back in once you become a co-driver. So, um, yeah, Lucas that year probably saved my bacon. And then, uh, yeah, since then, myself and Brad have got on so well at BJR. And um, that deal was done really early, a lot earlier than anyone knew. So um, I knew where I was going probably a year out, basically. Um, and that's why I'm happy to stay there for probably the rest of my career to be honest so I'll see see how he likes that but you know we just renewed my contract um surely I just get myself another few months added to it after this um yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well you know we keep going but yeah obviously without your mum and dad to start it you don't you don't get anywhere so um them and then into the Walkinshaw family that's where I got um probably became the luckiest kid uh walking the pit set that year Fantastic. Now, your uh, helmet design this year is pretty cool. But the one thing that we don't get to see much is the very back of the helmet. And there's something on uh, the yeah. back of it, which, um, yeah, would you like to tell us what it is? Because, yeah, I can't see it. Yeah, so um, obviously yeah, I'm an absolute lover of my dog, Nelson. But I used to have two Labradors. Um, my first Lab, Douglas, he, he was probably more famous than young Nelson here. So he was uh, six when I unfortunately lost him to the old cancer and um, yeah. So since then I've always had something of him and Nelson on my helmet via the sticker. But um, for this, this year's helmet, um, I asked my helmet painter Ant-Man to design something um, 
involving the two dogs. And then he's actually his daughter, who I think is only like 10 years old, sketched this um, picture of like two dogs um, and got the heads right. And, you know, it's not, they don't, they didn't, like, I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, they're not just two Labradors. That's actually what she's seen from photos mm. of two dogs. Um, and that's her vision of what they look like and all that kind of thing. And that's now on the back of my helmet painted in and that'll now stay forever. So um, she did a mega job of that. And now I've got her on a, a little job at the moment doing some more work of uh, drawing the dogs for me. So mm. um, yeah, I think it's one, it's pretty cool that, you know, she was just in Ant's um, studio while he's painting helmets and he, you know, he said to have a crack draw if you want and she's uh produced this and i don't think he could believe it either so it's pretty cool that's on the back of my helmet and um i think she gets a pretty big kick out of the fact that she's got something on her on the back of my helmet too yep i'd um, love if you were to send that to me after this and we'll chuck yeah. it up in the podcast and yeah because that's yeah, a lot of cool. got all the other angles of the helmet um and then like i can sort of see i was like i'm pretty sure that's the labs but i'm not sure yeah Got to ask it here, but it's up in Albury. I can't get to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's a pretty sweet backstory to it as well, though. Like, yeah, she did a mega job. Yeah. I don't think even Aunt knew she was going to do it. She just started drawing, yeah. from what I hear. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. I'm going to hand you over to Brent now. Um, yep. and things could go a little bit pear shaped, or they may not. So, no, no, I'll go. I'll go easy. Just no, nothing the, too. I'll just get the button ready. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So um, it's been great chatting. We'll, we'll obviously chat a bit towards the end. And um, yeah, over to you, Brett. Yeah. No, and yeah, so Shane normally words me up for the technical stuff. Um, but I actually, you know, because um, you're a current Supergo driver, I reached out and asked a couple of local guys what they wanted to, to ask you about. And um, big shout out to Andrew, um, uh, one of the boys that races with me and, and sports sedan streetcars. Um, he wants to know, like from your your perspective or your input, um, you know, we make small changes to the cars and we can, you know, you, you're always changing things and changing your setup and, and trying to get faster um, and you feel the improvement straight away if you've got it right. Um, with the supercars, you, how much input do you have there? But we, And saying that at the same time, we also see examples of where cars have been railed um, and yeah, you've had time in the pits, but the turnaround times are that quick sometimes. And then some of the on-track damage, is it the fact, like, how much, um, how good are the cars and how much does that affect? Like, are they just that strong that they can take a wheel-to-wheel -wheel contact and it doesn't really affect it too much? Or, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny toe changes for us make a massive difference. Yep. Touring cars obviously are engineered to an, another level again, um, but yet we see so much carnage sometimes, and yet the cars are still dialing wild laps. You know, is it hero yeah. drivers or the cars just they are built that strong? You know, bit of bit of both. So obviously the setup side of things, um, you know, there's so many things you can change on the current supercar, which is it's great, but it's also very confusing and annoying. So that's why you have a very good <laughs> engineer in your corner. Um, and say for my input, I have myself and AE work really well together. So I, I probably have a lot of input in the development of the car and what I want it to do. Um, and then they'll actually design parts around that information. Um, you know, I can feel things like when we change the bump steer mill in the rear, I can, you, I can feel that straight away and I'm like, oh, that's too much. And it'll be like a one mil change, you know. So when you try to get peak lap time out of them, they're definitely 
very finicky and it's kind of easy to not switch a tire on kind of thing. I guess that's a term you hear in F1, but mm. sometimes we can't get our car to produce a lap straight out the gate. Um, and then it will kind of um, do the lap on lap two, but you know, you're not getting the best out of tire. But so we spend a lot of time in supercars in qualifying, actually just trying to do things to the car to get it to load the tire quicker. And um, not as simple as just putting more tire pressure in it um, annoyingly. Um, so, you know, that side of things is, crazy and i have a fair bit of input but i also leave once i've given my sheet my feedback sheet back to my engineer and spoken to him about it i leave him to his devices because that's his job and i i trust every change he makes um then in the race for example if you felt the front of it uh, lap one and you know the steering will be definitely out um you then i think that's where you see the good blokes they kind of drive around the problem and find a new solution um to you know, being fast. So, for example, this year at Adelaide 500 in race two, I'm pretty sure. Yes, because race one, my steering rack fell out, broke out of it. Uh, race two, the um, so at the start of the race, we had a development roll bar system in my car for the for the start of the year. Um, and on about lap one or two, the front roll bar, the cable melted, so it got stuck in the wrong position. Um, I think from memory, it was quite soft um, and I hadn't been running it there at all over the weekend. So the car, the balance changed quite a lot and wasn't enjoying it. And then luckily, or not luckily, kind of destroyed the race, but about 10 laps later, the rear roll bar broke. Um, so I had no rear roll bar at all. And I still finished seventh um, and was in the race. And, you know, for that side of things, all I did was change the way I brake. Um, I moved the brake bias about 5% to the rear, um, which is huge. We normally move about 1%, which would be a big amount, I guess. Um, so you know, I've gone from close to that 51% range to back into like a wet weather kind of brake bias setting because oh, um, the car was rolling around and rocking around so much. I had to do something to get the, the balance just so I could brake. And um, I changed the way I broke the car. I changed the way I loaded the tire on the throttle. And then we finished seventh. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on in the driver side of things that I guess um, I think that's where we get pretty harshly critiqued by the old keyboard warriors. They they have no idea the the level you have to drive the cars at. And then if something goes wrong, how to actually finish somewhere good is um, sometimes impossible. So it's um yeah, we put a lot of input into the, the setup. The engineer does all the development work and the drawings of new parts and stuff like that. But then if something goes wrong during the race, that's when it falls back on you know my shoulders or the other guys other driver's shoulders to get the best result out of what you got I guess. Wicked. Well, I I could go on for ages asking questions how that feedback between you and the engineer works because that's the car setup side of it really blows me away. Especially with this, there's so much, especially in the supercar, so much talk about the uprights and the yeah. infinite adjustment that you guys tend to have or ability to have and the cost that goes into the development of those compared to you know, us racing on production type platforms where we just yeah. Yeah, don't have that. But I've got a few guys have asked me to ask you specific questions, so I'll, I'll keep them happy so they don't flame me at the track next. Um, Nick, one of our um, saloon car legends here, he wants to know um, what you like most about racing at Barber Gallo um, and how technical do you think it is as a track compared to other tracks? I've been lucky. I've driven a few, and I really like the, the uphill swing it's got, but keen to see what you what yeah. your thoughts are. I actually really enjoy Barbagello. So I think it's quite a good driver's track because 
you know, if you don't get the car ready to go, same qualifying trim, if it ain't ready for turn one, you know where. Um, so there's a lot of skill in making sure that front tyre is ready to go. So one, you can just brake late enough. Two, you can, you know, get the car close to that um, kind of guttering curb that they have there at Barbagello and let that kind of hold the car narrow. Um, and then the technique you have to get up the hill, it's not always about how hard you can bomb it in and, um, you know, feel like you're out of control as you come across the curb at three. It's, um, there's a, definitely a few things there that, you know, turn one's hard to get the front in. It's hard to get the power down going up four for us and on that change of direction at five. And then the way you come off the brake at the um, down the back there is at turn six, isn't it? Um, Into the bowl. Yeah. yeah, down the bowl. That's also such a hard corner to get right. And there's every corner on that track can actually trip you up to um, kind of put an average lap together. Um, you know, even though when you think you've got it right, you come to the last corner and you break two metres early and you dump a tenth and, you know, there's 10 spots on the grid for us. So um, for me, it's a challenging track and it's actually quite hard to get the setup right um, to go fast there. And, you know, there's been years where we've run different springs left or right um, across the front end rear to try and get it to work. Um, all sorts of uh, different front geometries to get it to work. And sometimes, yeah, like I say, not the same side to side. So as a driver and the feedback to your engineer, you start talking two separate tracks virtually. So it's, um, it can be quite difficult. And I think that's why, um, you know, if the car's not right there, you can see someone, I think it was 2015 or 16, Shane Van Gisbergen actually came last and nearly got lapped. Because if the car doesn't mm. hook up there, you are toast. Um, so that's where you need a very good relationship with your engineer and a very good understanding of how to get the most out of your car. So I, I, do, I do enjoy it. Same as Simmons Plains, it's a similar thing, you know, short, sharp, and if you don't get it right, you're nowhere. Yeah. And do you think that, um, that adds to the challenge of it being... Um, shorter you know like some people say that short tracks no good da, 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 but you've got no there's the margin of error is you can't make it up with horsepower or a big long straight or drafting you know like you see at some of the other tracks yeah that's why that's why i actually really like it because it's a real driver's track and um it's one where you need to really group in with your engineer and make sure you get the most out of it and, you know even for for you guys you don't i'm assuming you don't pay someone massive money to engineer your car um you know, you need to understand what you do to get the most out of whatever car it is you're racing. And um, that place, that throws challenges at you. Like I say, you can run totally different springs in every corner of, that, of a car around that place to get the best lap time out of it. So um, I don't I actually can't think of any other circuits. We do those kind of things to make sure we are fast. So it's, um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, wow. That's cool. Um, I've got a swag of other questions, but I won't hold you too much longer because we're almost, we're almost at time. But, um, Obviously, um, with BJR, um, you've got Macaulay there as well, who's, yeah. um, you know, he's big into the social media thing. He's big into his fitness. Um, he's always doing out-of-control challenges. Um, yeah. You've got the old boy who's um, bipolar opposite, um, but looking a lot fitter than him probably ever has in a long time from the stuff he's putting up now. Is it? Are you guys having an influence on him? Is he going to get spandex and go riding? And see him at the oh. cafe on a Sunday morning, or I think there's a minimal chance, considering Brad's diet is like a steak and sauce, um, or just smashing some sort of um, sandwich or like whatever it is that he gets him to whip him up. But yeah, I think Macaulay rides him pretty hard about what he's eating and how much uh, sugar intake he's having in all his energy drinks. So 
yeah, it's um. I actually also noticed when I was watching a few of the videos, I'm like, has Brad been trimming up or is he... Yeah, he looks going? like it, man. I, yeah. I mean, I've been watching it. I think he's been trimming up a bit. Yeah, so maybe I just haven't seen him for a while. <laughs> well, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't seen him since the Grand Prix. Um, and so, like, with that, Macaulay seems like a, a bit of a joker. Um, you know, maybe he's just been a younger thing. Um, what's what's he genuinely like? Is he Is he, like, as funny as he seems online or is he... You know, or is he a truly dialed in? Um, is he? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's serious. Like he's seriously serious at the racetrack, um, and you know, trying to figure out how to get the best out of himself in the car because you know he's coming as a rookie. Um, no one realizes how hard the main series is. Like you can throw him in any category: Porsche, Super Two, whatever. He wins um, during the year, and then he comes into this category and he runs around twentieth, and it's like you know. I can imagine how frustrating it is for him. So I think he gets a pretty hard rap, um, especially if anything goes wrong with his car and he ends up having a crash. You know, there are a lot of people just kind of shit can him when they don't actually read the story where he might have had a, a failure of whatever description. It's always so he gets a pretty hard rap. And um, I guess you find that with anyone who's uh, the son of someone, um, they get pretty uh, hardly scrutinized. So yeah, he is he's good fun. Um, we get on really well. He likes his fitness. He loves his racing. He, um, he, he likes dogs, even though he's currently owns a couple of ducks. He's waiting for his dogs to come along. Um, and, you know, he, he loves coffee and all that kind of thing. So we get on quite well and we got common interests that are the same. And, um, you know, we, we have some fun on the sim because we have our own little Discord channel, obviously, for BJR and we talk shit in there and it's, it's good. And um, no one sees how hard he works behind the scenes, I guess. Um, you know, up until this year he was a mechanic at BJR running his super two car and or last year before his rookie uh, first year. And, you know, he's, if there's ever a crash and they need more help, he goes into work and actually physically works as a mechanic. So um, it's pretty cool. The stuff he gets up to. Yeah. So you get on with him pretty well. Cause he's done like, you know, it was pretty cool to hear like the, the Nick Perkett story. Cause sort of, I don't, well, I didn't heard it, you know, that you, you were on the tools, you're working with the cars, yeah. but, uh, he's sort of doing the same sort of thing. So, does that make the relationship a lot easier? Um, yeah, definitely. I think so because yeah, like you know, even I, I worked at Sonic at former during my former Ford period as a mechanic, and he did a similar thing through his former Ford career and through Super Two and all that kind of thing. So yeah, I think we definitely have common interests. And you know, I, I still remember the day I was at a AIS thing, the Cam's Rising Star, when he was doing that program, and um, I think that's had me come in as a speaker or something there's something foolish of by them but uh he actually grabbed me and pulled me aside and said oh how do you manage how do you think i can manage you know um trying to get the best out of my career even though my dad is who he is because you know he's finding it hard to figure out the balance and um you know people take him seriously and stuff like that and um so yeah even i think it was 2000 and far out i feel like 2012 um was the first time i probably met him and or 13 and we had that conversation so yeah, we've got on pretty well since then, really. Oh, that's wicked. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm enjoying the stuff he's doing. And he's obviously into karting like yourself. Are you still karting actively? Are you still getting out and cutting laps? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where I am now is um, where the carts are. So just over my shoulder over here, there's um, uh, my friend, my cart, um, and two of my mate's carts are here that, you know, we all go karting together. And they're all my friend's actual trophies behind me because he was an absolute guru in a go-kart. So, um myself and Dan and Jake go away and we race. Um, it's called a big country series. Um, it's, yeah. it's 
more competitive than a club day and it's not quite a national series. So it's, um, it's really good fun. And we just go away on a weekend into little country towns in Victoria and race their tracks and come home. It's, it's mega. Wicked. And um, been asked this a couple of times and a few people in different chats, we've been talking about it and, and even on the show. Um, and you touched on it a little bit with the, um, with the iRacing stuff. Um, and then you touched on it with, the, you know, you've been, um, you've worked really, really hard and you've got some, you've got some great support with you. Um, how are you, how, is the iRacing, what else are you doing to give back, I suppose, to, you know, like the bearing mob and, and all that sort of stuff during this time and, and coats and stuff. Everyone struggled, struggle town, the whole you know, industry. Um, and we were really lucky to have guys like you to, to help. So yeah, what's, what's your take on it all? What's your advice for other drivers? Are you guys talking about how to, maximize what you're doing for your sponsors and supporters and yeah yeah so about four three or four days after the grand prix when it all obviously came to a head and um, i actually put an email together to my whole the all my partners and my personal sponsors on my helmet and said hey i'm gonna actually employ a bloke to follow me around with the camera for the next few weeks um, and pay for it out of my own pocket to keep promoting you guys and um, keep giving you guys exposure because obviously the cars aren't on track. Um, that got real difficult when we went into lockdown and you weren't allowed to yeah. <laughs> socialize with anyone. But um, that's why there's a few videos. Um, I think we've done six or seven videos of my training, karting, mentoring, and bits and pieces just to try and um, keep you know a bit of branding out there for my sponsors. And you know, there's none of them ever. Uh, you know, here comes the Nick Burkett episode sponsored by Timken or whoever it is. It's, yeah. it's just, this is what Nick's up to. And you know, there might be bits and pieces around a helmet or two around that it has the branding on it. So you see it or um, the drink bottle I'm using has it on there. You know, it's not, I didn't do it to try and jam anyone's business down anyone's throat. It was just to try and um, show what I get to get up to away from the circuit and um, give my sponsors something to put on their social media really. So um, that's what I did and I stay in contact with them and um, obviously when we do the e-racing all my Twitch and stuff has all their sponsorship over it um, all their brands um, all over it and um, Coats Hire is still very active so I do these little videos between rounds that um, I just film uh, on my camera and I send it to them and they, they produce it all together and it's kind of a preview for each round so um, they're the ones that are probably the most active still along with um, I think Morris Finance and um, the others are a little bit more quiet with what's happened because they're a global business and they're probably taking a bigger hit, mm. but um, doesn't mean I stopped working for them. Um, and it was definitely a thing, you know, where I was on the forefront to make sure that they knew I wasn't just going to go chill on the couch and still send an invoice in. So that's, um, yeah, I, like I said, they're basically family to me. I moved to Melbourne when I was fresh out of high school, no, no family here, no friends here and kind of just made it all happen. And um when I picked up sponsors, I just became friends with them. So it was great. Yeah. Well, that's good. And those videos are really well received. And like, um, I think everyone enjoyed them. Did you find that they got, they were better received than you thought? Um, and do you think you'll carry on doing that stuff? Yeah, I'm about to actually film a few more. Um, well, this week's going fast somehow. This week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, they're starting to churn up again, eh? Yeah. So obviously there won't be maybe... Everyone kind of sees the training I do and I can't show you how I go about, say, pre-race routine and stuff like that because, I, you know, the week leading to a race meeting is pretty full on with what I do. And I wanted to show all that side, but obviously I can't at the moment. So um, 
we're just going to kind of do some little sit down chat similar to this um just kind of give people a bit more of an idea of how my career unfolded and you know i always give little bits and pieces away and people think they know how my career happened but then like for you guys i i mentioned a few other bits and pieces and you're like oh hold on he didn't just have it all handed to him he actually was working during that yeah, those that's, years. That's so um, good so i want to show a bit more of that um a bit more of my my view and relationship with bjr so those videos will come and yeah the, they've been received well which is really good and you always get a few idiots that comment on the supercar side or something um about it and weirdly the only one that anyone decided to have a crack at was when i did the mentoring with that little brad and I actually gave him his new helmet from winning vegas and people decided to light me up saying i only did it for the cameras and i'm like it's a pretty expensive bloody jolly to get some airtime so uh <laughs> you know it's what it's like, some people try and ruin it but um the end of the day that's you know that's what i do all the time it's not like i just turn it on for a camera i've asked a bloke to follow me around and i've just said no i'm going go-karting this day come with me he doesn't know what i'm about to do so um i enjoy it and it kind of gives everyone a bit more idea of what we get up to off track really yeah and i think in general most people are pretty thirsty for that one-on-one -on -one sort of more yeah. real thing because we you know we, we you just don't know and um obviously with supercars being so professional you get the glossy stuff but yeah i think with the way social media is un unfolding the way everything's direct to consumer now so to speak um people are just thirsty for that that one-on-one -on -one stuff to say hey what do you really like and yeah and enjoy it man yeah i think so too you know even i sit here in this in the factory where my go-kart and stuff is and you know like the trailer we got i drove like past sydney from melbourne to go pick it up for me and my mates it's not like i you know employed some bloke to do it i actually prefer to get my hands in and do it so uh yeah people you only get your first impression once and unfortunately for me mine wasn't great for the nation so i'm slowly but surely trying to turn it around 10 years later but it's all good oh no we, yeah i think you've you, you've got a lot of really solid fans um you know that the coming out in 15 with the Adelaide win and, and being sort of a privateer team to do that in that, and that change, you know, the whole industry sort of changed yeah. around that time. So it's awesome to see and, and people just so keen and yeah. Thanks very much. It's all good. All good. All right. So just quickly for two more questions for you, we've got the S 5000s. Have you managed to have a look at those yet? Is that something you're going to look at being a bit interested in or? Too much time um, with cars. Yeah, I would like to just have a drive. I think it'd be really cool. And I've always found my driving style suits probably an open wheeler a bit, a bit better. Um, so I wouldn't mind having a crack in one of those just because they look mega. Hold on. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, and then obviously Randall's been driving them, so I see he's on board and stuff. But yeah. I haven't had a huge um, desire to go do it. Obviously, when the supercars zinging along full time all i care about is trying to drive that thing as fast as i can yeah yeah i managed to uh capture the s5000s at the bend last year and um thomas and uh, a couple of the others kept me well entertained that whole weekend <laughs> so yeah it was um it was good racing so uh and the other oh, question I'm... is around the holden future in racing have you guys got any plans or heard of any plans about what's going to happen with the cars with uh holden obviously demise in the last uh, few months yeah i'll be honest that's people think i think think i'm keeping a secret but i actually have no idea 
about that side of things anymore. Obviously, when I left um, Walkinshaw and HRT, yeah, my little bit of information tap slowed down. And then, um, to be honest, once um, Simon McNamara, who was the head of Holden Motorsport, left, I had a really good relationship with him and he helped me out a lot. Um, yeah, I kind of don't, not really in the know anymore and I don't really know anyone at Holden, but I assume Brad knows a bit more, but I would have no clue. He could rock up to me tomorrow and go, hey, we're going to go drive Kias. It, yep. it doesn't. <laughs> oh, that's a rumour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, but that, that rumour's already been out for a little while. So, yeah. Ah, is it? Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't actually know, to be honest. Um, as long as we're in a supercar somewhere, some way, um, I'm happy. And for me, always being in a Holden has been pretty special because of what my grand, granddad and dad did working at the Holden plant in Elizabeth. Um, but yeah, now that they've ended, I guess I can maybe finally drive a different brand. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been had a massive Holden allegiance the whole time. So that's something that might not be well as well known either. Yeah, like I say, my granddad and dad both worked at the Elizabeth plant in Adelaide building cars um on the production line so yeah they uh they literally hand built the cars back in the day before all the robots um and then yeah i so happened to got contracted to the whole racing team and that's why it was a bit of a big deal when i won bathurst because um yeah you know they built the cars and dad was there when brock and stuff used to come to adelaide to kind of pick their car off the production line and <laughs> um yeah then suddenly you know i'm driving for them and winning the biggest race of the year so after Bathurst, we actually went, I flew back to Adelaide and met mum and, mum and dad um, with Garth and I guess a few people from HRT. And uh, we all say, we go and say thank you to Holden and all the employees on the floor at the plant. Um, and then they actually pulled out all the old records and photos of my dad and granddad when they, when they worked there. So that was um, good fun. Super found special. Out found out the truth about dad just ripping burnouts and stuff all the time and <laughs> just being a menace, really. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. It's been great to have a chat with you. And, um, you know, obviously the time that uh, we've sort of crossed paths at Wanneroo, you know, you've been focused on your thing and I've been focused on my thing. So I haven't had a great chance to talk to you. So it's been great to have a chat tonight. It's, no worries. Um, I'm not like coming fresh off a plane either when I normally see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. So, um but um, look, you know, obviously uh, back in the back in the sim tomorrow night for the BP All Stars, uh, Twitch TV forward slash Nick Perkat is his channel. Um, it's good you know that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so you can uh, jump in and uh, watch watch his stream. See Nelson sleeping in the background, um, and yeah. So any last words before we wrap up? Um, what have we got? Nah, just just watch out for Lando tomorrow. I've watched his Twitch and he's stupidly fast. So, yeah, that's, he's going to bring a whole new game to it. So, be cool. Um, and, yeah, enjoy, really. Fantastic. So, uh, we'll wrap it up while Nick's still on, on here. Um, of course, as we mentioned earlier, we do have the uh, War, War E3 starting this weekend. So, hopefully, everyone will be able to tune into that. And, uh, yeah, We'll see you next time. Uh, we have the lovely April Welsh jumping on board uh, for a bit of a chat next week from the Formula V series. Um, I've actually got that right for once. So, yeah, look forward to having a chat with her. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers, mate.